Hello there and welcome to WeatherSnap. This is your weekly weather and climate headlines podcast from the Met Office and I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Alex Deakin. First, uh, let's dive in straight away, shall we, Claire, and talk about yeah. Hurricane Nigel, or rather ex-Hurricane Nigel. Why are we talking about it? Well, it's going to influence our weather through the course of this weekend and into the early part of next week. Not not the first ex-hurricane to influence our weather in recent days, because, of course, we had the remnants of Lee bringing us some pretty wet and windy weather through the middle of the week just gone. Um, Nigel, they're quite interesting, isn't it, Claire? Mm, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it's moving northeastwards it's across the mid-Atlantic at the moment. Now, on Thursday, it was still a hurricane with winds around 86 miles an hour, but gusts in excess of 100 miles an hour. So it did really pack a punch. And the National Hurricane Centre have got a very consistent track of where it's going and it's heading northeastwards. Yeah, that track, really interesting. I covered that in the deep dive about how consistent all the models are with that. It's really remarkable to follow the track of, of the Met Office model, the European model and the American model, all with their tracks, all remarkably similar. And uh, yeah, the National Hurricane Centre have been pretty consistent with this. So because uh, it's, it's, it's going to end up not far from the UK. And if it was if it was closer, the winds would be stronger and that would be something we'd really need to to keep a close eye on. But Thankfully, as I said, there's been a consistent signal for it to be further west. So we're pretty confident it's not going to be a direct uh, wet and windy spell. But that's not to say it's still likely to cause us a few problems, as we'll as we'll talk about later. But um, it's heading its way up towards Iceland, really, uh, as an uh, X hurricane. It's going through post-tropical transition that Julian Hemming talked about on this podcast last week. So there's more on that um, if you check out last week's um podcast but that's where it ceases to become to ceases to be a hurricane because hurricanes have to be fed by warm waters so as it heads northwards goes over cooler water it loses that source of energy it, it is then picked up by the jet stream and that gives it another burst of energy or keeps it alive if you like but it's no longer that powerful storm it's no longer a really concentrated hurricane storm and becomes a more typical mid-latitude low pressure system often with a broader wind field. Uh, and that's what we're going to see as we go through the weekend. Mm. So two things we're looking at now. Uh, the deep vertical wind shear is increasing, and that's the way the winds with height increase. Now, this is really interesting because when you look at tornadic outbursts, you want some wind shear because that actually drives the, the tornado along, whereas it breaks up the structure of hurricanes. And that's one thing where you can actually see actually it's weakening because the wind shear has increased. And certainly that is going to be the case over the next few days. And the other thing that obviously always happens as these hurricanes move into cooler water, they lose their fuel and sea surface temperatures are much lower across the mid and north Atlantic. So these two things, as ex-Nigel pushes northeastwards, you're going to see a different structure to this ex-hurricane. It becomes more asymmetrical as well. And as you said, it goes for the extra tropical transition. So it does, though, become a fairly deep. Mm. low pressure system as it is subsumed by another low pressure system although the jury's out at the, at the moment which one's going to also engulf the other one but <laughs> the result is it is a huge area of low pressure which will influence our weather into the weekend 
Yeah, one subsumes another, but yeah, which one wins out? And again, uh, covered in in this week's uh, 10-day trend with with Aiden on our YouTube channel. You can actually watch that and have the interaction with the jet stream, picks up the original low. Uh, Nigel joins in and they kind of dance around each other. I think that's how Aiden describes it in the 10-day trend. So you can can check that out on our YouTube channel. But yeah, really interesting to see the development of that. But although it's no longer a hurricane, it is bringing with it some tropical moisture. And that is going to move northwards. That will actually lift the temperatures a little bit through the weekends bringing us some warm air but also warm air carries more moisture so that tropical footprint is likely to bring some heavy rain we could see again set up something called a warm conveyor it's just a basically a a warm river almost of 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 moisture laden air that comes up and with brisk southwesterly winds that drops a lot of rain particularly on hills so the hills of south wales north wales northwest england uh, eastern parts of northern ireland and southwest scotland that's where we're going to see the heaviest rain as we go through the weekend uh, tied in from the system but we'll have more on that in a moment and in, interestingly this whole week here in the uk we've seen a lot of rainfall mm. This time last week, we were anticipating the thunderstorms which hit the southwest, central, southern England, eastern counties of England as well, where over a few hours we saw an excessive amount of water causing flooding, extra airport flooded. Uh, You know, there were lots of lightning strikes. There were sightings of funnel clouds as well. So really lively conditions. And then that was ahead of what you said, ex-Hurricane Lee. The remnants of that came across through the middle part of the week. And I have to say here in the northwest of England, the winds were really strong. There were broken branches, lots of surface water. The waves along the north coast of Wales were quite violent as well for a time. So it was a proper autumnal spell of weather. And we're anticipating another one coming our way later on in in the weekend. And we'll talk more about that in a moment, Alex. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting, again, to cover that, because actually those thunderstorms, Exeter's obviously pretty close to me. Those thunderstorms woke me up on Saturday night and I got some, uh, my my children were uh, very embarrassed by me because I told them the next morning I was up through the night trying to video the thunderstorms outside of the garden. And I did get some footage of the lightning flashes, which, again, you can see in our deep dive mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, some big storms around over the weekend. I think Swindon had 90 millimetres of rain. Yeah. The, av- the average for September is something like 55 millimetres, mm-hmm. so almost double their monthly average in a day. And around these parts down in South Devon, many places had 60, 70 millimetres of rain on Sunday. And that is a ballpark, their average, again, for the whole month of September. Yes. So, yeah, yeah big amounts of rainfall we've really seen that switch from the southerly winds the warmth and the thunderstorms to now those westerly winds through the through the week just gone and in fact the yellow warning for the middle part of the week suggested we could see between around 100 and 200 millimeters of rain over the higher ground of wales northwest england and i noticed on the youtube comments someone said are you you sure you mean 200 sure you don't mean you mean 20 millimeters of rain you know, but actually it was that much. It was, it, I mean, it was in excess of 150 over about 30, 36 hours, which again is a bit of a shock to the system after the beginning of the month. And also we had a lot of rain through July and August. Yes, the, the land is sodden across the UK. Now let's turn our attention to the Southern Hemisphere and something that's happening which could have implications for Australia, Southeast Asia in terms of drier weather and temperatures above average. And this is El Nino, which this week was declared by the Bureau of Meteorology. That's the Australian Weather Agency. Now, interestingly, back in the summer, NOAA, which is the US Weather Agency, declared an El Nino. 
But Australia has a different criteria. I learned more about that, along with the fact that there's another global driver which may enhance impacts even further in terms of dry conditions, heat, and even bushfires. I caught up with senior climate scientist Zi Weng Chow from the Australian Weather Agency. Recently, we have started to see the atmosphere respond more clearly to the warm sea surface temperatures in the Pacific. And one of these indicators that we saw had a shift was the pressure pattern. We start to see you know, a clear pattern of lower than average pressure in the Eastern Pacific and higher than average pressure in the Western Pacific, uh, which is uh, indicative or associated with El Nino. And then one of the indexes we use is the Southern Oscillation Index. And this went into El Nino territory recently, so during August. So you're looking for evidence, so it's not just sea surface temperature localized across the eastern side of the South Pacific. It's far more than that. And so you just want rigorous evidence that you're actually going into an event like this. Tell me, um, as you go through spring and into summer, what type of expectation do you have in terms of weather and how it will change and be influenced by this El Nino? Historically, with El Nino, we have seen drier than average conditions, as well as warmer conditions over eastern Australia, as well, or especially over southeast Australia. And this, we, we do see this uh, historical association reflected in our current long-range forecast, too. That's also or probably in part also to the positive Indian Ocean dipole. So I think that's being reflected in the long-range forecast as well. For those who are listening who are not familiar with this phrase, could you explain what it is, please? It is similar in concept to the Pacific Ocean in that they are driven by changes in uh, the sea surface temperature on either side of the ocean. But in this case, with cooler water over the eastern Indian Ocean and then warmer water over the western Indian Ocean. And that changes the circulation patterns in the atmosphere that lead to decreased rainfall over Australia. As a climate scientist and seeing these two events unfolding, what are your main concerns? We came off a record winter, so it's the warmest winter on record for Australia. Even since the start of September, we've been seeing quite exceptional heat so far over the southern half of Australia, with parts of southeast Australia being highest on record so far for September. We've seen that heat continue, and the forecasts indicate that we still continue to see these unusual conditions into spring and likely into early summer too. So the whole interview can be listened to on our podcast channel. It's also on YouTube as well. And that's out tomorrow. So yeah, Weather Snap Climate Special, all about El Nino and other impacts which actually could bring enhanced heat and also the higher risk of bushfires. A couple of good videos to watch on that as well on our YouTube channel, Met Office Learn About Weather. There's a, an explainer on El Nino and there's also an explainer on the Indian Ocean Dipole. So check those out. Okay, in other news, so we talked about heat, we talk about bushfires. Now let's go to the top and the tail of the world and talk about sea ice. Now we've been anticipating this through the last few weeks because sea ice tends to come to its minima and maxima in September. So lots of analysis going on right now and measuring how far the sea ice has grown across the Antarctic winter and how far it's retreated across the Arctic summer, and some surprising headlines coming out, Alex. 
Yeah, the uh, Antarctic in particular, I mean, it does have high variability, but this year's uh, Antarctic maxima is going to be very low indeed. It looks, you know, well below anything that we've seen before. Uh, something along the lines of a million square kilometres below the previous record low maximum, which is set in 1986. So, yeah, that's that's really quite remarkable how how low it's going to be. Arctic sea ice as well, Alex. Where are we with that? Yeah, again, uh, low, not quite record-breaking low. But with this, you know, there's a there's a definite, tr- much more significant trend over recent years for the, us to be well below the the average. Uh, looking as if this year's uh, minima for Arctic sea ice will probably be fourth lowest for the season. So not the lowest on record, which was uh, 2012, I believe, but still well below the average or the, the climatological average. So the report is out this week by the Marine Climate Change Impacts Partnership, and it's on the impacts of climate change on Arctic sea ice. And one of the authors is our very own Dr. Ed Blockley, who specialises in sea ice. And we've had him on the podcast a number of times talking about this. And he always talks, particularly around Antarctica, he talks about the variability of, um, and because it's such a massive continent, isn't it? But also the impact of wind and how that really breaks up the ice through the the winter time allowing for for sea for the seas to be exposed which then has almost this self-fulfilling prophecy entrained within it so interesting reading and that report is out this week now let's turn our attention back to the uk and give you some detail about what's happening weather-wise it's an interesting time of year september for us alex isn't it because of the hurricane season i suppose yes uh, a volatile month of weather for the uk as we've seen classically this year with the heat earlier in the season and then that big switch with the heat earlier in the month and then that big switch to much more autumnal weather wet and windy spells so both sides of of autumn if you like i think it's september the 11th statistically is the most active day in the hurricane season in the atlantic and we often get the remnants of the storms as we've seen not once but twice this week so that adds volatility to the forecast makes it harder to predict exactly what's going to happen but low pressure systems and we are in for further wet and windy weather through this weekend having said that Saturday, ahead of uh, ex-Hurricane Nigel, or the impact of it, um, looks pretty good. Most places are going to have a decent day on Saturday. It will be a chilly old start. It's going to be a cold night Friday night into Saturday. So temperatures well down into single figures across most of the country, actually. Some pockets of frost certainly likely across the north. So a chilly start, but most places having a fine day. It's then Sunday when we'll start to see the weather fronts coming in from the system that contains the remnants of Nigel. As I said, the system itself well out to the northwest so it's not a direct impact but its weather front will bring some heavy rain it could be quite slow moving uh, and affecting areas that have been wet this week so parts of north wales northwest england south of scotland northern ireland that zone is the area of greatest concern but even parts of south wales over the hills likely see quite a bit of heavy rain by the end of sunday ahead of that further east many places stay dry just with increasing amounts of cloud but it is going to turn windy as well at this stage, it doesn't look as if it's anything too concerning, but just another wet and windy spell coming in for Sunday and into Monday. And looks pretty uh, blustery into the early part of next week as well. Earlier this week, when I did the deep dive on Tuesday, we were reasonably optimistic that high yeah. pressure was going to build in for from, from the middle of next week onwards. And that could have uh, lifted the temperatures quite a bit, but it's all switched around now. The forecast has really changed. And actually, for most of next week, it looks like we'll be still under the influence of low pressure systems, further spells of 
wet and windy weather are possible. Aidan goes into quite a bit of detail about that in the 10-day trend, about why we've seen that switch in the projections for next week. And again, it's all to do with, with the tropics. We're going to be scuppered, aren't we? That that deep area of low pressure, not good. But you know what? There's two things. There's two reasons why I'm looking forward to Saturday. Okay. Why is two that? reasons. Okay. First of You're all, going to a party? Mm, not, almost, but not quite. Okay. But it's. I think it's the first time I'm going to step outside and feel really like autumnal weather has descended on us because I live in the northwest. We could even get a little bit of grass frost, even possibly. Um, certainly further north, you're going to see a frost in, in rural spots, but it's going to be, it's going to feel like though one of those classic mornings, a little bit of fog, maybe a bit of mist in the valleys. You're going to go out for a walk, aren't you? And take, yeah, take yeah. atmospheric photographs of the mist and the blue well, sky along the canal. Ah, I can, I can see it coming. I can see your Instagram post now. You can, aren't you? Yes. I mean, it's going to feel magical. All I need now is a few ley lines and I'm absolutely there in the zone. So that's one thing. And secondly, obviously, it's my husband's birthday on the 23rd. Oh, um, the hawk. The hawk's birthday on the 23rd. He's got his pants and socks already wrapped up as his oh, present. Every obligatory present every year. And then we're heading to Wales where high sides of the year, which leads me very nicely into 23rd of September is the da 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 <laughs> Equinox. Awesome. I tried to do that. Equin. I tried to do that channel. For, do you remember the TV program? Channel yeah. Equinox. Equinox. I used to do that. Then I need to work on that. Um, one, one for the kids. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So, so yeah, but it's late this year, right? So most people think the equinox happens on the twenty-first of September. Well, that's when people, you know, say autumn starts twenty-first because that's around the equinox. But actually, it's it's as late as it can be. I think twenty-third. Um, it's it's a late one this year. And it always triggers a bit of a lively conversation in the Met Office mm. HQ, doesn't it? Because what is the equinox? I mean, obviously, there's a textbook explainer, which I learned when I was back in the day, um, learning about the moon and the sun and the earth and gravitational pull, etc. And, and equal night, equal day. But flying the ointment just a few years ago, there's another equivalent which actually defines what equal night and day is. And that's the equilux. Oh, it's yeah. confusing. Thank God wow. we have Alex Burkhill to tell us what they are and which one we're in and when it's going to happen. Here he is. First of all, Alex, can you explain to me what the equinox is? So the equinox is when viewed from Earth, the sun crosses over the equator. It happens twice a year, both during autumn and then again it's spring. It's taught at school that this is when day and night is equal in length and it's close to, but actually for the majority of the world around the equinox, we actually have slightly more than 12 hours of daylight and slightly less than 12 hours of nighttime. And the day when we have as close to as possible equal to 12 hours of daylight is actually called the equilux. In autumn, that happens a couple of days after the equinox and in spring, that happens a couple of days before. So why are there two then? The reason for the fact that the equilux and equinox are on different days for the majority is because the sun actually appears as a disc in the sky. It's not a tiny dot. And so theoretically, the equinox and equilux would be the same if the sun was a tiny dot. And so you saw uh, the center of the sun was above the horizon as soon as you started getting daylight. Whereas in reality, because it appears as a disc, 
the top of the sun comes above the horizon before the center does. And so you start getting a bit more daylight than you otherwise would. Add to that the fact that the light can get bent a little bit. And so all of that just increases the length of day. So you may think, yes, when the sun's crossing the equator that you'd get 12 hours of daylight on that day. But for the reasons I just said, you actually get slightly more. And so you have to wait a little bit in autumn for the equilux for when days become shorter than nights. Okay, so when does the equinox and the equilux happen this year? This year, the equinox is at 6.50 Greenwich Mean Time on Saturday the 23rd. Technically, the equinox is a set time, so that's why I told you it was 6.50, but most people just refer to it as the date. So for many people's point of view, the equinox is the Saturday the 23rd of September. The equilux, like I said, happens a couple of days after the equinox in autumn. And that has this year, it's going to be for the majority of the UK, it's going to be on the 25th Monday. I say the majority because some very southern parts of Cornwall here, it's actually going to be on a different day and it's actually coming on the 26th. We say that it's the equinox is the day when it's closest to 12 hours. Nowhere is going to have exactly 12 hours of daylight. And it very rarely happens that anywhere does, but it's usually around one or two minutes within 12 hours, but it's the closest day to having 12 hours of daylight. So thanks very much to Alex Burkle, who's now part of our presenting team. You've seen him on YouTube and he'll appear on this podcast probably quite regularly through the next few months. So talking of highest tides, we've got the highest spring tides of the year. Alex, you're an astrophysicist. Tell us why. Oh, tell us why. I mean, I'm not, am I? I'm not an astrophysicist. I have a degree in astrophysics from 25 years ago. That doesn't make me an astrophysicist. No. But during equinoxes, the sun does exert a stronger pull. So that this time of year, you get the, the highest tides because they're in alignment with the moon. And so that's why this time of year, you get some of the highest tides during the high tide. Yes, because um, that's what that's what pulls. That's what causes tides, right? The movement of the sun and the earth when they're acting opposite each other, then they the, the gravitational pull makes the water bulge in the middle. Mm, that's interesting. I suppose because the sun is in uh, orbits in ellipse, there's certain times then it's it's further away and closer, which obviously increases the gravitation. Whoa, 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 whoa! The sun the sun doesn't orbit. I know. We, we we orbit we orbit the sun. I mean, <laughs> I, 20, Twenty-five years since my astrophysics. <laughs> Let's get let's get that clear. The but, earth okay, goes around the sun. Is the sun closer to the earth now <laughs> than it is during a solstice? The sun is close the earth is closest to the sun in January. Get that around your head. Is it? Yeah. 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 Perihelion. Okay. So uh, yeah, the sun is the earth is actually closest to the sun on about the fifth or the sixth of January. And it, so it's further away. Um closest to the but why is the highest tides now then in the northern hemisphere because of the because it's all about the alignment and it's not about how close they are necessarily it's the alignment whether the sun and moon are working together or opposite from each other it's more okay. about the alignment of of the sun and the, the moon mm -hmm. i mean it was a anyway. long time i mean i didn't even do this when i did astrophysics so okay. i'm not even sure it wasn't even a course on tides and, and that kind of stuff but um yeah 
I just like it as a special on this podcast. You do, anyway, don't you? I do. You like dropping me in it. I like dropping you in it. Um, but anyway, the well. highest tides of the year. Um, if you're heading to the beach, remember that. Check out your tide times if you're going to take a little paddle in the sea. Sea surface temperature is still way up there, so not a bad time to dip your toe in. Uh, but wherever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have an amazing weekend. Enjoy that crisp autumnal morning on Saturday and watch out for the rain on Sunday in the north. Bye-bye.